The Ballad of Tom and Jane by Amy Eddings. Come ye, come ye, a fair ballad for this fair day, madam. I've love, war, scandal, news from the colonies. No? Stop for a song, sir. All sorts to suit all moods, tragical, comical, historical, hummable, newest airs, raciest rhymes. You know this tune, young master. Dum bum ba dum bum bum. Come now, you must. Tis as popular as your sweet mother was once with the sailors down at Tobacco Wharf. Calm yourself, madam. It's all in jest. A little ribaldry keeps the spirits up. And other things, eh, sir? <laughs> I've a love ballad here about a poor girl who's ruined by her black-hearted master and likes it so much. She ruins herself over with another ten men. Twenty verses of ruination, all in heart-rending detail with a woodcut too. It's the <laughs> sweetest little melody too, melt in the throat like honey. There, sir, try a line. I particularly recommend verse five. Just tuppence halfpenny for the ballad of romping Rachel. All right, tuppence, but I can't go lower. Pity a poor Chapman trying to earn a crust. Thank you, sir. Satisfaction guaranteed. If this don't make you stiffer than a day-old corpse. The religious verses, hymns of grace. Morning, Father, what a surprise. <laughs> Hear a holy broadside to the air of the Sussex Carol. Does wonders on the continent, it does. Made hardened sinners fall down in worship as full as piety, as a piety pie, no? A saint's life, then. Maybe I'd St. Thomas, St. Peter, all the Anne, St. Valentine. Ah, perhaps not that version. Or would you prefer a nice miracle? There's the weeping version of Pisa and the man cured of death at Hamburg. That only happened last month. He's as fresh as today's haddock on my oath. Very well, Father. Thank you, God bless. Because he was charming and loved with his eyes, I found him disarming and swallowed his lies. He said he would wed me once May turned to June, but the rogue only fed me and left me in ruin. And if you want to hear the rest, ladies and gentlemen, buy the ballad of Jilted Jane, just a penny off and... A tale of arts lost and maidenhead spoiled, what makes romping Rachel look like a Scottish nun. There's a nice song to be singing near priests and infants for shame, woman, trilling your filth all over my patch. As a man to feed his children with harridans snatching the bread from their very mouths. Children, is it? That reminds me, ladies, of John Tinker of York and his bastard brood. Fourteen children, he sighed. Fired on six different women, and one day they all up and beat him to death for his wicked ways, and lived happily ever after. Stops a man straying that story, believe me. Morrow, young lady, hear the tale of Mary Tofts, a Godalming girl. She was so frightened by a rabbit, she fell down pregnant, and when the babes were born, all nine was rabbits. True story, miss. The king's surgeon examined her. One of them grew up to be a parson. A love ballad, then? Will you have comic, tragic, or bawdy? Of a virgin ravaged by a pirate, a serving man maddened by love, what he thinks is a tree. 
Here's one about a clever maid marries her master. Oh, I thought you'd like that one. Penny halfpence for that, dear. My prices are honest, see? Thank you, I'm sure. You in service yourself? Aye, me too. Till I was brung down in the world by a man's treachery. A ballad in itself, that is. There, my sweet. It's called Soft Words and Hot Rum, with plenty good advice for poor girls meant for better things. And good luck to you, dear. Better luck than mine. Good day. For Tom, he was handsome, and Tom, he was smart. He sought love and found some in Jane Mitchell's heart. And though he was daring the gold for to win, his wench was uncaring and turned poor Tom in. And if you'd hear the real story of Tom, the pop boy turned highwayman, and Jane, his faithless harlot, by the tale of Tom a robber, wrongly hanged at Horsemonger Lane. They say when Jane wept her tears were a flint, and when they opened Tom the anatomy table, his heart was gold so pure you could bite it, and his spirit jumped to heaven like a jack-in-a-box. Tuppence only for this stirring story. That your latest ballad, raggedy news of a blundering cutpurse, Tom Robbins and 20 years back. Besides, that Tom's robbed his tune off my jilted Jane. Now there's a story never grows old, ladies. A poor, simple lass deceived by the promises of a greedy upstart. Oh, much obliged, madam. That's a penny halfpence or tuppence for Jane and the pirate's mistress together. My prices are fair and my tune's true. My print is clear and my news is new. Not like some folk would send you ancient history as London's latest. Got to watch that sort, ain't we, girls? Skin you soon as look at you, like one of Mary Toff's rabbit babies. Well, I can't divulge the ending, but Jane Mitchell was a serving wench at the Hogs Back Inn nearby. True story, as I'm standing here, I had it from her very lips. That's why my version's the God-honest gospel. Oh, it's a sad tale, miss. Ballad of romping Rachel, penny halfpence on the 21st verse, free. Too scandalous to print, so I'll whisper it in your ear. A very sad tale. Now, it happened 12 years ago when young Jane was just 17 and a more innocent creature the world never knew. She had a face like a daisy and a daisy like a... Oh, well, never mind what. I mean, she was fresh, miss, like you, with petal soft skin what had never known the rough touch of a man. Song of Stephen the Strangler, a penny for his first and worst crime, tuppence for the other four, throttled five women before they caught him, including his scolding mother, what never shut up. And who can blame the poor fella? One day, a lad called Tom Robbins came to the inn. He was an orphan whose family died in the last plague. Ah, oh, you're too young to remember, but he'd survived with nary a potmark. His hair was golden and his eyes blue as heaven's wallpaper. First, he was hired as a groom's boy. But soon the landlord saw his shining smile and winning ways had served better inside than out clearing tables and taking up pots to wash. Well, serving the victuals was Jane, of course. She brung out the plates of what he took back cold. And now and again they pass on the floor. His breeches might 
brush against her petticoats, his eye might catch hers, and so on. At last, his hand touched her hand, and they reached for the same salt cellar. And then, Burmy for a witch, if the poor girl wasn't head over heels in love by nightfall. Tale of the Exeter witch. She cursed men with her poisonous tongue, and when they opened her grave, it was still wagging away. Penny for the verses, and halfpence for the refrain. The Exeter witch? Don't make me laugh. Ain't you got any new songs to sing, or has your brain gone soft as your old piddle? Excuse the interruption, miss. Where was I? What happened next? What always happens to headstrong girls and me aunts and boys without a mother's care to protect them? She was lost. So there you are. Two young arts struck with love as old men are struck with ague or madness. A Hampshire, Romeo and Juliet they was, on fire to marry but without money to live. So Tom, who can ride like the wind on any horse born, forms a daring plan. Oh, hearken now to my grisly tale. Though St. Jad's long dead, it's not grown stale. Twas pious a man, and he earned God's boon, living seven years with a seeping wound. Christ, here's Tuttons aid me, you old varlet. Buy a pie to stop your nasty mouth, or better, a pint of gin to wash it out. Oh, for good of your mistress, thought you'd never ask. Don't mind if I hearken to your interesting story, do you? Tom decides that the next rich-looking traveller stopping at the inn, soon as he rides off again, Tom will give chase and rob him. Then James sneaks out with clothes and food in the valley beyond, and off they run together. Now the robbery went off perfect, but when Jane goes to gather Tom's things before meeting him, imagine what she finds. A handsome reward for turning King's evidence, was it? Love tokens. And not just one, neither. A love note from the cook. Thirty and warty too. A ribbon from the parlourmaid's cap. Even a shining lock of blonde hair curled in a bit of paper. What could only belong to the landlord's daughter. He'd been playing her for a fool all along. He wasn't going to marry her any more than the other girls. He was just using her for sport. So Jane took Tom's clothes fast bundle and food parcel to the constable and told him where Tom was hiding. And when <coughs> wicked Tom expected Jane's soft lips in the dark, he found instead a pair of cuffs and a noose at the end of them. Poor bloody bastard. I warned you it was a sad tale, did I lie? And what's saddest is from that day to this, Jane never found another man she could love. And she weeps every night for the boy she sent to the gallows at Horsemonger Lane. What a steaming pile of poppycock! You don't credit that, do you, gentlemen? Never was there a bitterer creature than a woman scorned. That Jane shocked him to the law for the gold, nothing more. She knew the price of a highwayman's head and trapped him into riding out so she could claim the reward. She was heartbroken by his betrayal. The money was nothing to her. She never spent a penny of it. What did she do then? Eat it? She kept it to buy poor Tom a headstone. But she never found his grave. That's because he was never hanged, you silly mare. 
Tom Robber escaped from Horsemonger Lane the night before his execution. And they never found him. He's been looking for Jane ever since. And now you've made me tell the end of my ballad, you witch. Here, have them. Have the cursed lot. The ballad of Tom Robber. No pence, no penny. Never liked that tune anyway. Give me that. He never hanged. How can that be? Oh, they hanged some poor fella. Called him Tom to spare the jailer's blushes. But it wasn't him. Been laying low all these years, they say. Wandering the country, trying to find a girl he can't forget. Maybe he's a ballad seller. That'd be a good disguise. Maybe she is too. Maybe she's sung her story in every market square from here to Portsmouth, and still her art won't mend. Maybe she carries the reward money against her breast like a penance, like one of your saints with an air shirt. Maybe she shouldn't have been so jealous all those years ago. Maybe he shouldn't have been so free with his smiles, and she would have believed it was her he loved, and her alone. That would make a good ballad, you know. If they met a girl, met again by some miracle years later. If they looked into one another's eyes. Blue as heaven's wallpaper. And sighed. And kissed. You could charge threepence at least for a love story like that. Set it to a catchy tune. Throw in a good chase scene by moonlight. Call it the highway man on angles. I'll write the chase verses on two conditions. First, we charge fourpence. Tuppence each, a fair share. And second, we call it the, the Ballad of, of Tom Jane and Jane. Nine Dead, Six Wounded. A love story by Ian Green. I am one of the lesser deaths. There is the death of the great Kalahari Desert, who collects the souls of sun-drenched wanderers. The death of the Siberian tundra, wreathed in snow. The death of Delhi, the death of London, the death of the Cairngorms. There are deaths most everywhere. For my sins, I am the death of Royal Tunbridge Wells, population 56,792. It is, I think, fair to say that this is somewhat less glamorous than, say, Paris or the Tibetan Plains. But I did my job dutifully. I collected departed souls, even if they were all over 80 and less than exciting. I did all of that until February the 14th, St. Valentine's Day. The day of nine dead and six wounded, if you don't include the animals. The day I fell in love with Daisy Evans. Hi guys! So I guess this is my blog. <laughs> Weird! Um, okay. Right. No followers yet, obviously, Daisy. Which is good. I don't want to ramble on and on, but basically I've not been feeling too hot. For like, a long time. Like, for a really, really long time. But <laughs> don't worry, no sobbing here. I've decided to be positive. A positive rage. I am of sound mind and body. Like, really. Or maybe not. 
Hashtag crazy daisy, right? <laughs> so, um, where to start? I am Daisy Evans. I am 17 years, 7 months and 18 days old. I just killed my parents and their stupid cat and my mum's horse. And now I'm warmed up, it's time to get started clearing up this town. <laughs> da, da, da. I mean, wow. Royal Tunbridge Wells is a spa town. I get heart failure, lung failure, infections, emphysema. I don't get murders. When I showed up just in time to see Mr. Evans take a crossbow bolt to the chest, sheesh, blew me away. Daisy was wearing this cute little number, a floral print dress and classic green wellingtons with a barboard jacket, her hair tied back, and she was sticking her tongue out just a tiny bit as she concentrated on her next shot. Wham! Mrs. Evans, bye bye which at least stopped the screaming. I always thought that love at first sight was a bit, you know, kitsch. But this girl, I followed her outside and watched her put down the cat and the horse with just this stunning intensity. Then she came inside and started writing on her iPad. I had to dash away to a heart attack in the church of King Charles the Martyr, but I made it back in time to see her pack her crossbow and what looked like a shotgun into the back of her dad's Land Rover. I flew, along as she, I flew alongside as she drove into town. She listened to a Michael Jackson CD. She looked so beautiful. Two murders. Two! I almost forgot to get Mr and Mrs Evans and send them on their way. Hi again! Writing this from outside Shirley Pinkson's house. I got blood on my dress. I mean, for fuck's sake. I just murdered Shirley. She was sleeping with my dad. Hence what happened to my dad and his stupid cat. I mean, what about family? Doesn't that mean anything? Hello, you have a daughter and a wife. And as for Shirley, if your employee is married, maybe don't sleep with him, you total slut. Hashtag crazy daisy. Three down, six to go. She had a pet tortoise, but I left it alone. I'm all heart, guys. Really, all heart. Now I'm off to the gym. You'll see why. Also, for posterity, the crossbow is a nod to Lionel Shriver. Bit of a joke. <laughs> but don't call me Kevin, all right? I'm not doing this for the fame. Shirley Pinkson did not die well. I mean, there are good deaths and bad deaths. Trust me, I, I've seen a lot. This was a bad one. I collected her and sent her on her way. Daisy seemed a bit more flustered with this one. She missed her second shot with the crossbow, even. There was a car crash, three dead on the main road about 12 miles outside of town that I had to go and deal with. And after that, I went back and I watched Daisy, something of a highlight reel of her life. Being an incorporeal reaper of souls does have its benefits when it comes to time manipulation. I skipped most of the childhood and picked up at 15. Precocious is the word I would use. Not moody, just quiet and studious. And 
pretty. She is tall. She goes to parties, she goes to school. Good things happen, bad things happen. I can see her for who she is. To really see someone like that, to know them. I can't remember the last time I took the time to get to know someone properly. But enough of the past. Daisy was going to the gym and not to get fitter. Block three. This is me up to a total of seven. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. Four dead. And I think I caught poor old Mr. Kushta with a ricochet. Sorry, Mr. Kushta. Biology A-levels were shit, but you didn't deserve that. Hope you are okay. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Four dead. And this is why. Pete Ashton, the accountant, was sleeping with my mum, his client, and doing so in a pretty terrible and indiscreet way. Pervy old git. He always goes to the gym on Sunday morning. Bad luck for him. The Thompson twins, Raymond and Taylor, are bullies, sadists, perverts, and if even a tenth of the world at school is true, serial rapists. I know for a fact that they got a 14-year-old girl drunk at their farm and made some videos. So fuck them. Lucky me! <laughs> they were there and I didn't have to go looking for them. The fourth was Jim, my ex-boyfriend. Jim hurt me. I killed Jim. One more on my list. Hashtag Crazy Daisy! Hashtag boom boom, shake the room. <laughs> you know those cross trainer thingies that look really stupid? She mowed down those Thompson twins with her shotgun, turned their heads to mulch while they were talking next to one of those. <laughs> Sorry, just trying to paint a picture here. Uh, then everyone starts screaming, and Daisy just calmly reloaded and took out Pete Ashton. Boom, just as he tried to disentangle himself from a rowing machine catching Mr. Kushtar and a woman named Linda with ricochets, but they were both okay. Jim's she found hiding under the reception desk. It was not pretty, but then I looked back and, well, I'm with Daisy on this one. By the time I gathered them all up, the police were there, ambulances, the whole deal. After a few minutes, there was only, every, there was only one name on everyone's lips. Daisy. Last blog, guys. Thanks for reading. Not that anyone has yet. This one is going to be a bit controversial. I just killed the last person on my list and I'm now sitting in their living room typing this on my iPad. According to the BBC News app, there's been a shooting at Tunbridge Wells. Suspect remains at large. I mean, I only left the gym ten minutes ago. That is pretty crazy. I keep refreshing it, but I don't have the Wi-Fi password, so it's pretty slow. So the thing is this. I just killed Tamara Kenley Basil. I know, I know. Tamara is nice. Well, was nice. Tamara didn't ruin my family or hurt me or whatever. Let me explain. I liked a boy. A boy named Jim. As it turns out, Jim wasn't a very nice boy. 
Jim did some bad things to me. Jim hurt me. Jim took liberties. So I went to my parents. My parents essentially told me, shit happens. I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe, hey, maybe I'm fucking making this up. Okay. Right. So fuck them, obviously. I go to the police. I go to Jim's dad. Big Jim. Chief Constable Jim. The respectable and lovable face of policing. The best man in Tunbridge Wells. Pillar of the community. Avuncular moral guardian. I go to him and I tell him what his son has done. And he smiles, and he leans in close, and he says some very bad things. He says all of the bad things that will happen to me if I ever so much as speak his boy's name again. Bad choice, Big Jim. Because Big Jim doesn't just have a son. Big Jim has an angelic daughter. Tamara Kenley Bazaar. And I just cut her throat. <coughs> Hashtag crazy daisy! Hashtag shit happens. They, tr they tracked her down eventually. She wounded four police officers. She could have killed them if she wanted to, I think. Daisy took her own life with her shotgun in some inauspicious woods outside of town. I picked her up and took her somewhere better. I said, hey, are you busy? Um, I like your dress. Are you looking for a job? What, what music do you like? Do you want to go and haunt a movie? We mainly like romantic comedies now. <laughs> I saw Big Jim last night as I was doing my rounds. His wife left. He sat in his chair, drinking and crying and swearing. I made all of the lights flick on and off and all of the windows rattle and the radio turn itself on to static as loud as it goes. <coughs> I try and drop by most nights. Hashtag crazy daisy. Hashtag shit happens. Read by Cliff Chapman and Suzanne Goldberg. Cliff and Suzanne. You and Me by Maria Kyle. Tagline West End Girl Seeks New Adventures. You, tall, dark, decent looking, nice smile. Maybe an arty job or something in the media, but Definitely not a wanker. Am I allowed to say wanker? I'll check in a minute. Tosser could work. Definitely not a tosser. 30 to 40, living in zone one or two, new to London, all born and raised, I don't mind. We can explore it together. You like going out and doing new things. I would love it if you surprised me on our first date. Surprised me by turning up, that is. <laughs> Don't be so negative, it's going to be fine. 
surprised me on our first date by taking me to a cool new bar, a rooftop cinema, kayaking, or whatever, really. I'm game for anything. Try me. Does that sound too sexual? I'm game for anything except anal. Try me. Right, <laughs> oh, that's worse. I'm always up for new experiences, so get in touch. So far, so bland. Fuck. I'll do me. Me. I'm early 30s, slim and average height with long, curly, dark hair. Some say a bit like Cher's, except she's about 70. Some say like Katy Perry's. I moved up to London 10 years ago, and I work in Bloomsbury, not the publishing company. I wish. I love to read, watch films, and go to the pub. I also breathe air, eat food, and write uninformative dating site profiles. I love to read. Read what, though? What do men like? I love to read, especially thrillers. Know about that Dan Brown. Hello, I'm barely literate. I love to read, especially French novellas. How about that Albert Camus? <laughs> Hello, I'm really up myself. <laughs> I love to read from Dan Brown thrillers to Stuff by Camus. <laughs> Stuff is good, <laughs> more casual. And watch films from Woody Allen to Star Wars to the Family Brothers. <laughs> A massive lie. I hope I'm never caught out in, but guys like that sort of thing. Or they say they do, anyway. I know they like Star Wars. I've had a few long-term relationships in the past, but now I'm single and ready to mingle. <laughs> and ready to use cringing cliches if it'll get me a date. <laughs> and I just want to meet new, interesting people to have a laugh and maybe more. Maybe some sex. Definitely some sex, if my vagina hasn't sealed itself up by now. Smiley face. No, winky face. Is winky face too suggestive? Smiley face. Winky face. Winky slut face. <laughs> oh, screw it. Winky face. Doesn't constitute a binding contract. I'll be your Carrie Bradshaw if you'll be my Mr. Big. <laughs> Delete. Delete, delete. That's the Merlot talking. A laugh and maybe more winky face. Post. Fuck. What have I done? Tagline. Mile and man going places. With you. <laughs> you. Looks. Jessica Rabbit on a really hot day. <laughs> Eye colour. Violet. Hair. Long. Any colour. Job. Underwear model. Part-time spy. Financial status. Independently wealthy. Age. 26 and a half. Height. Five, nine, and a half. Body type, baba boom. <laughs> I'm more of an arse man, but as long as the whole package is there, I'm not complaining. Prefer slim with big boobs and booty, but I'll go up to a size 12. 
So Dan said, write what you really want, like your ideal fantasy girl, and then go through and write the opposite, and that's what you're realistically looking at. <laughs> but I don't think it's working, because this is my opposite list. The problem with putting things like looks unimportant, height unimportant, body type unimportant, is that it sounds like you're either so desperate you'd stick it in a lady orc, <laughs> or that you look like the elephant man yourself and you want a partner in a touring freak show that is your life. Dan says, think about your exes. What did they have in common? And the answer is nothing, except that they all dumped me. Blonde, dark, red-headed, short, tall, curvy, skinny. I can't even narrow the age down much because Simone was 19 and Anthea was 45 and they were both smoking. <laughs> oh, bloody hell, I'll just do me. <clears throat> me. Male, obviously. 33, the age Jesus was when he died, smiley face. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> Religion, agnostic. Does that sound too fancy? She might think it's some sort of extreme sect. Religion, none. Height, 5'11". <laughs> including trainers. Hair, brown. Eyes, brown. If I were an envelope, I'd be manila. If I were an ice cream, I'd be vanilla. Interests. Bad poetry, indie gigs, new bars, the early work of Woody Allen. I work in media sales, but I promise I'm not a wanker. Tosser? Dickhead? Pump? wanker. Except in the literal sense. <clears throat> I don't really have a type. Hello, I will literally fuck anything. <laughs> I'm open to all sorts of girls. I will give you a disease. <laughs> I appreciate a beautiful girl, but I think that what's inside is more important than what's on the outside. So tell me how you like to have fun, and I'll see if I can oblige. No ball torture or strap-ons, though. <laughs> I'm a nice guy, but I'm not used to finishing last. I need a girl who can keep up with me. So if you're game for a laugh and like to try new things, I'd love to meet you. Smiley face. Smiley face or winky face. <laughs> Ah, you only live once. Both. <laughs> Post. <clears throat> I'm going to fucking kill them. <laughs> Message subject. Annie Hall? Dear Mile End Man, thanks for the wink. I see you're a fan of Woody Allen too. Which of his films do you like best? I'm an Annie Hall girl myself. Or maybe Bullets Over Broadway. That's as late as I can go. After that, he really starts to go downhill. I saw Matchpoint when it came out, and it was shit. <laughs> Jonathan Rhys-Meyers is quite hot, though. My favourite film of all time is Casablanca. Or maybe Citizen Kane. Although, Ghostbusters is great, too. <laughs> How about yours? West End Girl. 
Saf at work told me that this was the best way to work out what the guy is like. Everybody lies about their favourite book, but movies are easier to scope. She even gave me a little decoder. Action movie, dickhead. Animated, cartoon, pervert or psychopath. <laughs> Anime, pervert. Black and white, pretentious dickhead. Chick flick in the closet. Fantasy, except Lord of the Rings, which everyone loves, unfuckable. Foreign, pretentious, or foreign. <laughs> Historical, depends. Indie movie, hipster dickhead. Sci-fi, geek, thriller, depends. Western, chauvinist. I've just read that this doesn't give me many options where he isn't a dickhead or pervert. I wonder sometimes if Saf wants me to stay single. Message subject, three, Annie Hall. Hey, West End girl, love your profile pic, winky face. Is that a feather boa you're wearing? I think I've been to that bar. Kick in Shoreditch, isn't it? Nice place, if you can avoid the wankers. I guess my favourite Woody film would be Toy Story 3. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, obviously. Though that is a really good film. I, I love all the animated Pixar stuff. But uh, my friend Dan says I shouldn't tell women that in case they think I'm weird. But whatever. I, I like Annie Hall, of course, and, and Radio Days and Manhattan because Mariel Hemingway is absolutely smoking in it. Though that's not the only reason. Uh, my all-time favourite film is probably The Human Centipede. <laughs> Kidding! <laughs> it's Gladiator, really. I love that speech Maximus makes at the end. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I saw that there's a special screening of The Purple Rose of Cairo at the Renoir in Russell Square on Friday night. It's an anniversary or something. I'm going along anyway, so maybe you wanted to come and check it out? You work in Bloomsbury, right? Anyway, let me know. I'll wear a purple rose so you can spot me. Smiley face, winky face, mile end man. I looked up the human centipede. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. I really hope he is joking. Gladiator. Is that action or historical? I'm saying it's historical. That means depends on whether I like Gladiator, I suppose. Luckily, I do. His profile picture looks a bit like Russell Crowe, if you squint and add a beard. And I'm free on Friday. Oh, well, I am if I bail on Saf. So I don't have any good reason not to say yes. I'm meant to like new things, and well, I've never seen the purple rose of whatever before. Shit. This is a bit real. Nobody told me you actually have to meet people. <laughs> They're my land man. Okay, you're on. What time does it start? Do you want to meet for a drink beforehand or should we grab a bite after? I'll look out for your purple rose. <laughs> Sounds a bit dirty, smiley face. <laughs> I'll be wearing a purple dress. Now that we're meeting in real life, do you want to tell me your name? I'm Vicky. XO Vicky. I've got a date. I've actually got a fucking date. 
Now, where the hell am I going to find a purple rose? <laughs> hey, Vicky, it starts at eight. I'll get the tickets and we can meet in the foyer about 7.45, go for a drink after or some food. See you there. Looking forward to it. Laters, John. 7.30. Oh, is my watch past? 7.45. Sodding florist couldn't find me a purple rose, so I had to go to a joke shop in the end. Yeah. This one squirts water. <laughs> I hope she doesn't think I'm mental. <laughs> Bloody hell, look at the queue. Maybe she'll be late. Can't see anyone in a purple dress. Oh, there he is. Huh. Rose looks fake. <laughs> you. Brown hair. Brown eyes. Tick. 5'11". Take the trainers off and we'll see. Looks acceptably like picture. Tick. 33. Looks younger, but I'm not complaining. Punctuality? Well, he started queuing at 7.45. Suppose that counts. And as long as I don't take my coat off, I bet he won't spot me. <laughs> He's looking around like a meerkat trying to spot a predator. <laughs> oh, it's quite sweet. Popcorn? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, salty. Uh, and sweet. Large. I suppose. How much? <laughs> um, do you take cards? Where is she? It's only five minutes before the film starts. I'm not eating all this popcorn on my own. I suppose I could resell her ticket if she doesn't show up. Or give it to that girl in the big duffel coat standing over there. She's quite fit. It'd be a good how we met story. I got stood up at the cinema and she was waiting for a return ticket and... Hang on. That's Vicky, isn't it? She looks different without glasses. Hotter, actually. A bit like Mariel Hemingway. Or the young Cher. Or Katy Perry, if you squint. Hey! Ah! <laughs> Sorry, did I surprise you? Salty or sweet? Salty! Uh, sorry, thanks. Nice rose. Cheers. I thought you were going to wear a purple dress. I was. Uh, I, I mean, I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm not naked under the coat or anything. <laughs> it's, um, it's just a bit cold in here. Uh, uh, no worries. Uh, shall we go in? Okay. Film was good, actually. All about a lonely woman who goes to see the same movie over and over because she's in love with the lead character, until one day he steps out of the screen. Bit of a chick flick, but I'm pretty sure John's not in the closet, because on my bedside table, I can see a joke shop purple rose. <laughs> Smiley face. Hey, mild hangover. Bed? Unfamiliar. <laughs> Boxes. Missing. <laughs> Presumed draped over a chair. On the floor. 
when I crack an eye, an unzipped purple dress. Winky face. <laughs> Silas Hawkins. Patsy and Silas. Canvas Spirits by Paul Flack. When I first saw her across the gallery, she was a blob, a dash of black, not even a stick. A person, definitely, but only a blob below a line that led her along. She was the, uh, the young child of a stick person in an L.S. Lowry industrial scene, a, a mere crowd extra, snowing in leads, it was called, all brick patterns on townscape contours, spiralling smoke and chimneys, hundreds of people, so many blobs, but I studied them all. Each one a potential spirit of life and love, however small. I was already a, a solo spirit by then, a, a resident in a, a Joseph Wright of Derby a picture of the philanthropist Brooke Boothby. One gloved hand on a volume of Rousseau, the other nestling my chin as I engaged with viewer in philosophical contemplation. I was lying among fallen leaves in a wood. Very strange when I think about it. Elegant hat, though. I was sick of being a stick after I made it up from being a blob. Stick dog, stick child, stick adult. And it's colder without clothes, especially if you don't have a body with anything to show. I envied Mr. We all did. More than refined, there was something dashing about him. I knew he spotted me because I fidgeted a lot. I so longed to leave home. I wanted dimension. I wanted breasts. Buttocks, particularly. I aspired to have shape. Any shape. Yet, I had to wait. My break came with an Italian student. He came up close to look at my brush strokes and considered what he saw. He held me in his mind as he sauntered towards a whistler. Harmony in lilac and turquoise, a young girl. There was a vacancy there, I jumped. Now I could fill out and smile in a silk dress, a Japanese fan held open in my hand. There was just one more essential accessory I needed, a name. I decided on Whistler's signature motif. I would be called Butterfly. I, uh, I noted Butterfly's progress over the years. She had a penchant for pastel shades and expositions in grace. 
Of course, uh, jumping opportunities are limited by viewers only usually examining pictures matching their previous interests. There also has to be a vacancy in the target canvas. Spend time portraying a Gainsborough Terrier and your jumping choices could be restricted to one of Stubbs' horses or even one of his sheep. Never work with animals. Rule number one. Also, stay well clear of Francis Bacon. He'll turn your face inside out and he'll, he'll slash and stab at every limb. Bacon was dark side. Not love. Not hope. Oh... Butterfly inspires me. Her selections have been spot on. Such harmony in Frampton's portrait of a student. A young woman standing, say, 18, 19. A cello, deliberately more rounded than the young woman. An exquisitely shaped urn. Everything in Art Deco clarity. Against a backdrop of duck egg blue. A hint of anxiety in her face. She knows she mustn't waste her potential. I suggested the occupancy myself. I'm not so sure about Mister's mentoring. I just wanted some of his attention. His voice sends ripples through me. I find his image addictive. Yet here, beside the urn and cello, I feel like an object, part of an exercise in draftsmanship. It's all too much in good taste. I want to be nude. I want to cavort a naked dancer, a flying Venus. Forget subtlety. I want some life and I want to be adored. Let's celebrate love. The problem with Butterfly is that she has no ambition. I mean, I could have been Chatterton the dead poet strewn majestically across his bed, the garret light dim, his face silver-grey with self-administered poison, his torn poems across the floor. Oh, not for me. I'm a winner. You won't see me as a rustic in a harvest scene. I have the bearing of an ambassador. I am the reason to paint a picture, a patron of the arts, a symbol of achievement. What is there to strive for in the galleries of London? I want to be in a masterpiece, an, an undisputed world classic. I, I know I can project myself with mystery as well as gravitas. I was thinking maybe of the uh, self-portrait of Raphael. Ooh, that's in the Uffizi. I'll have to be part of an international tour for that. And then they jump and jump to get closer. Mister soon spotted me as a nymph in a Botticelli. I traded a solo for a group scene to be closer to him. He won't share, of course, not yet. He took the eye of a tourist that transported him to an alcove of Peter Lilly, so I'll have to move again. I know how to magnify my presence now, make my cheeks slightly rosier, my eyes a little larger. Exude, exude. Look at my beautiful body, I say. Be enthralled. Desire me. 
then I'll hop again in a few seconds. Other changes could be afoot. My name, for instance, which brings us to Gainsborough's Mr and Mrs Andrews. It's just around the corner, opposite Mr's current residency. I'd so like him to pop in. Mr with his gun would then be standing near me as I look at you all from my park bench. And when I say park, I mean we own the park, mansion included. I'm in blue silk again, in a dress you'd never venture outdoors in unless immediately into a carriage or out of one. But that's not the point of what a lavish garment as wide as the bench is meant to show. I'm so excited at what his reaction will be on seeing me directly opposite him. He'll understand the implication. I know. Let's try it now. A gallery regular is doing the standing back, coming close, standing back routine at every picture in the room. Very methodical. It'll be such an easy jump. Here we go, into his left eye, roll around his retina, up his optic nerve, into his mind, have a quick look at his memories, then slide down his optic nerve again. Done it! He went straight to Mrs Andrews. <coughs> I'm home. Now just wait for the viewer to leave and I'll see Mr gawping back at me. Oh no. Disaster. Just a caption. This exhibit is on loan. Butterfly wouldn't like the Guggenheim. I hate the Guggenheim. I'm forever having to holler, get out of my picture, to opportune jumpers. They're so rude round here. I don't seem to know the meaning of quietude in New York. Even worse, I've been placed right at the end of figurative art. Well, I certainly won't be jumping round the corner. It's all pollocks there. Oh, I'm not budging from these oils. The Hermitage is the next tour stop. Damn, mister, and his international career. He could have made a classic. I'm not following him. London has it all, including me. And what does he intend getting up to while he's out of my sight and beyond the reach of our gallery whispers? A guest star, perhaps, in a Renoir naturist scene. Mixed bathers, I've heard. Scores of them. Total frolicking nonsense. He'd better watch out at that end of the market. He could end up in a private collection. Then no one would see him. He might never escape, even if he wanted to. I do believe he would try. What would I do then? At least that scenario suggests a possible desire for him to return to me. What I really fear are the Russian surrealists. He's in awe of them. A Chagall, say, love and the stage. There's Mr standing in a meadow, one hand holding a dove that he's about to set free. With the other, he touches the fingertips of his lover as she rises into the sky, elevated by elation, so rapturously in love. That will probably never happen to me. Not now. No, I became a Tsar briefly, dated uh, 1535. Yeah. Luckily, she wasn't there to see me. I find pose and perspective for the age. 
but I sensed a whiff of something that became a stench of blood. I couldn't radiate anything positive. I, I just couldn't fake it. The Peter Lilly had left for Chicago without me by then. I saw a Benjamin West available and jumped instantly. Oh, wonderful detail on the maroon velvet jacket, flesh tone so lifelike against my wig. Uh, slave trader wealth, though. No wonder there was a vacancy. I couldn't stand it there. I don't need Mr. to lead a life. He's too stuck up. Maybe I'll take a holiday from sobriety. Go, go gan. Tahiti, tropical colours. But you try standing there, naked when they turn off the lights, and there's no one there to admire you. She would have enjoyed the Louvre. It's very crowded. Lots of opportunities to try different canvases. An Impressionist's tour was bound for Milan, Rome, Florence, Leonardo, Tintoretto, Caravaggio, the finest career roles are there. Raphael. <laughs> I, I could have been transported there as a bystander in a, a shimmering sewer. But it was pointless. I missed her. I never understood the workings of my own heart until then. Without Mr. I planned to take the veil. The central figure in Millet's veil of rest draws me with its sense of destiny. Under a breaking dawn, a young nun has been digging a grave for an older colleague, knowing that one day a grave will be dug for her there too. Even in that light, the luster of her skin is contrasted against her wimple. As canvas spirits, we decide when to jump, but not when we are put away. I'll admit I made a wrong move, a stepping stone towards a Rossetti. A London exhibition was rumoured. I might never reach Butterfly now. I've been labelled and put into protective darkness and optimal humidity. No restoration planned, just redundant. Me! Oh. Oh. It could be decades before the curator takes a second look. I settled in a Holman hunt, hung up high and seldom noticed. That suited me. A quiet corner with just enough light. Not many lookers. Over the years, I've watched certain gallery viewers age. They come with partners, they come alone. They come with new partners, they come alone. Art is a constant in their lives. I rarely bother with spirit gossip, but yesterday the whispers started buzzing with urgency. Another funding crisis, I presume, auction fears. Yet, in the frenzy of the blurred words, a familiar pattern kept coming through. Definitely his name. I listened intently. He's returned. He's come back as a goblin. I, I nearly fell out of my frame. The great man, reduced, not even human. I have to see him. No, I don't. 
I don't need him. I'll move closer, though. No, I won't. He should move closer to me. Maybe I'll just shuffle along towards him. Just a token. No more politeness. By then, he might have made it up to a pixie. No, let's not bother. He's in the Sainsbury wing. I'll be losing dimension if I turn medieval. He's not worth it. Well, just a look. And my first words will be, don't waste my time, yes or no. I am a merchant. Respectable enough, successful financially. Plus, I also know which painter should record us in our showcase 15th century home. Butterfly's hand now rests in my hand. The statement is in the exact center of the picture. We are <coughs> the Arnolfini marriage by Jan van Eyck. Mister has an exquisite hat. He always had a weakness for them. I chose the dog, a little terrier. I also to appear to have chosen something else. Those Flemish dresses have high waistlines, emphasising any developments. It's been debated for centuries. Let them wander for a million days. Our course is set. We'll be here at the National whenever you have the chance to come and gaze. with truth and dare. The deadline for submissions has passed, but you still have three weeks left for Shakespearean slings and arrows in April. Details of this, along with all of the other year's themes, and videos and recordings from previous events are on the Liars website. And if you've missed the normal bios that we read out, um, you'll find them on the uh, programme notes, and you'll also find them on the web as well. And so... Our final story of the evening is In Walks a Unicorn by David Deuce. We read by Tony Bell and Sarah Peppers. Tony and Sarah. In walks a unicorn. Me, sitting at the bar, looking at the time on my phone, it's exactly 7.29. I'd arranged to meet this girl through a dating site, there's no problem about that, but she wouldn't send me a photo. We agreed 7.30 here, a very public bar, so if either of us feels wrong about it, we can clear off with no problem. There's all kinds of reasons for not wanting to send a photo, but being a unicorn was not one which had occurred to me. <laughs> well... Not until now. 
I allow myself two of these dates every month, but so far haven't found exactly what I want. I'm serious about this dating business. I'm a busy man, no time to waste, so I've drawn up a list of specifications. It's something I've learned to do in my professional life, and it only makes sense to apply it to my personal life as well. I don't expect to hit all of the targets, but maybe 28 out of 30 would do. Interests, education level, personal hygiene, tidiness, punctuality, important things like that. Four legs was not on my list. <laughs> Certainly not all on one person. The unicorn sweeps the room with its horn, then points directly at me. I sent a photo, although I was possibly a little younger then, but it recognises me. It walks slowly and rather elegantly across the room to me. Its hooves tap on the floor like stilettos, disconcertingly like two women approaching. <laughs> a warm, faintly grassy perfume escapes from its nostrils. Joe Malone, I ask myself, and it sits beside me. You're Stephen, am I right? A blissfully refined voice, deep but feminine, that's one down and 25 to go. <laughs> yes, and you are? Well, clearly I'm a unicorn. Just call me darling. That will do perfectly. I wasn't really expecting... Nobody does. That's the problem. People think they know what they want, and then that blinds them to the beauty of the unexpected, the unpredictable. You could have sent a photo. <laughs> Stephen, sweetie, just look at my hooves. The iPhone was not designed with unicorns in mind. I've tried clamping it between my two front hooves and tapping it with my horn. But all you get is a giant horn with two beady little eyes at the end of it. I find we look our best in illuminated manuscripts. But all of the pictures show male unicorns, generally with a virgin, if one is available. She, she looks around the bar and the soft nostrils flare and she gives a dismissive laugh. <laughs> Discriminatory, in my opinion. It's always the same old story. A unicorn is a wild beast that can only be tamed by a virgin. Blah, blah. I blame Freud. But then, I always blame Freud. The unicorn does that Lady Diana thing, dropping its head and looking up at me through <laughs> flickering eyelashes. She, she, uh, she, she, She has the eyes and the long nose to perfection, only the foot-long horn detracts from the image. Stephen, do you feel able to calm a wild beast? That warm breath again. I sense I'm blushing, transfixed by the deep blue eyes, surrounded by their long, ridiculously beautiful eyelashes. I take a rather large gulp of my wine, an excuse to look away, and I think for a moment, here I am, looking for my ideal woman, instead being seduced by a mythical creature. <laughs> I could complain to the dating site, but I'm worried. 
thing is, darling, this feels really weird. <laughs> I am very specific about my partner. I have a list or the desiderata for the perfect lady. I actually carry it with me just to make sure I don't forget things. <laughs> oh, I see. Like a shopping list. In an ideal world, you'd probably email it to Tesco's and she would be there when you get home, delivered within a convenient time slot. Well, be fair, Waitrose. <laughs> Does it say human on your list? No, but I hadn't imagined... <laughs> Tell me, Stephen, how do you know what you want before you meet her? Or it? Can you actually want something before you have seen it? Perhaps not exactly, but I plan my life. I have goals. I know I want someone who shares my dreams. Bullshit! She kicks me. She actually turns around and gets me right across the shins with a kick from her hind leg. Dreams are private. You don't want to share them with anyone. Only celebrities and advertising agencies believe in that nonsense about dreams being for public consumption. Anyway... At your age, most of your dreams should be far too disgusting to share with anyone. <laughs> Certainly not on a first date. She sits back on the bar stool. You haven't offered me a drink. We're not going to get lucky if you can't do the basics right. Just water, please. In a trough, if they can do it. <laughs> Maybe a carrot or two. Just a nibble on. Or cheese straws, if they're not too cheesy. Plain straw would be great. Just keep me away from the sugar lumps. I manage to get a bowl of water while she hums gently at my side and looks down at her immaculately manicured hooves. I'm being a bit harsh with you. My apologies. I do sometimes gallop ahead of myself. Tell me, Stephen, you... Sweet little biped. What do you do for a living? I'm sure it's something fascinating. Oh, Jesus, I hate this question, or I hate its answer. How do you say financial advisor in a bank without people falling around and pointing at you? Finance. I work in finance. I advise people. And you're the one setting out conditions and standards for your new partner. Bold, I must say. So, how has this strategy of designing your partner before you meet her worked so far? I take it you haven't had a total success yet. I remember one rather horsey girl I met explaining to me how you can tell exactly what a horse is thinking by its angle of its ears. The problem is that the only thoughts a horse seemed to have are flight, fear and something else which I've forgotten. There was definitely no ear code for intrusive personal questioning. Well, nothing 100% yet. The ears pointed forwards. Have we hit 50% yet? Hmm. A delicate tilt of the head. 20? Hmm. 
Okay, no, it doesn't work too well. The trouble is that each failure adds another point or two to the list, and sometimes I feel it does get out of hand. I did try sending a checklist to some of the dates beforehand to save time, but nobody sent it back. Well, not with the boxes ticked. I did get a couple back with rather explicit attachments. <laughs> yes, I've seen that sort of thing on the loo walls here. Triumph of hope over experience for humans. Although... Some unicorns I've known. She drifts into a kind of smiling reverie. May I offer you a little advice? Straight from the horse's mouth? <laughs> we really find those comments to be in bad taste. Unicorns take revenge. Painful, lasting revenge for horse jokes. Claire Balding hasn't always looked like that, you know. <laughs> the anger subsides and she adopts a caring, I'm your therapist kind of pose. <laughs> you have enjoyed meeting me, yes or no? Of course, yes. And I meet very few of your criteria, what with the four legs and so on? Scarcely any of them. <laughs> Show me the list. I pull the list from out of my jacket. I unfold the paper and hold it in front of her. I thought her lips were parting in a sneer, but then slowly they close around the paper and she eats it. <laughs> Compost of the gods by tomorrow. <laughs> Best place for it. You can't judge people against a checklist. Life needs an open mind, not the safe, easy things. You have an imagination, Stephen. You imagined me. Use it when your date comes through the door. Forget this stupid list I just ate. It didn't even taste nice. So you're just imaginary. Of course I'm imaginary. A talking unicorn meeting you in a bar? That's totally absurd and incredible. Yeah. Only a gullible fool who's out of touch with reality would believe that. Uh. But then you work in a bank. <laughs> My phone dings. I look down. The time is still 7.29. The message says... I'm coming through the door now. I look back at the bar stool and Darling has vanished. Except, like the Cheshire Cat's smile, I think I just saw a beautiful eye wink at me for a second. And a faint trace of the scent of hay lingering in the air. <laughs> and then you come through the door at exactly 7.30. gentlemen concludes this evening's romantic entertainment when you leave please remember to take your loved ones with you 
The Phoenix's lost and found department has still not recovered from last year. Uh, but do stick around and talk to the actors, the authors and liars. And please give a final heartfelt round of applause to everybody who's performed tonight.